Hi, welcome to At The Core, the intersection between neuroscience and fitness, where I have the wonderful opportunity to speak to guests that are high performance movers and gain better insight into their mind-body connection of their special craft. So today's guest is Ricky Reinhardt. Ricky started playing the piano at age eight. At 16, he went to Germany, Switzerland, and Israel to perform as part of a summer arts program. By 18, he was performing throughout England and Scotland and played at the International Music Film Festival, sorry, Music Festival in Glasgow, Scotland. Before 20, he had traveled the world performing and receiving awards and accolades. Now a piano teacher in Las Vegas, Ricky is also on the executive board of directors for the Las Vegas Music Teachers Association and is currently the director of the National Junior Steinway and Sons Piano Competition for Southern Nevada. Ricky also started his weightlifting journey at 17. He completed, ac competed actively from 2002 to 2015 in both powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting a winner of two national championships, several state and regional championships, and broke many state records. Ricky has coached numerous competitive lifters over the years, including eight national champions and two world champions. He plans on coming out of retirement this year and compete again to break the all-time masters over 40 powerlifting world record. Welcome, Ricky, and thank you so much for being here today. We couldn't be happier. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I will start with the big elephant in the room where everyone will not imagine putting these two things together. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe that there is someone that is at a pianist level of your caliber where it takes the tiniest fluctuations of keystrokes but it's then also that same brute force capable of lifting their baby grand. And I think that a lot of people would think that these are in opposition of one another, but I think we're gonna come to learn over this conversation that there is actually a strong link between the two. Absolutely, yep. So, so uh -huh. go ahead. Oh, I was just kidding. So <clears throat> yeah, I started, I started with music. I was an athlete as a, as a kid, your normal play football, baseball, basketball. Um, you know, up through my young adolescent years and my mom made me take piano lessons like most other kids' parents did. And for the first few years, didn't have any interest in it. And um, after a couple of years, it was actually, I was in public school, I was in elementary school and had a teacher that taught a unit on classical music. And I can remember hearing Mozart for the first time. I, I grew up with the Beatles and the Beach Boys and everything that my parents listened yeah. to, which I still love today. But <laughs> and uh, but hearing Mozart, there was something different about it that resonated with me. So I didn't fall in love with the piano. I fell in love with classical music. And pun intended, the piano was the instrument. And And so, you know, starting at about nine, ten years old, that was when it really became important to me. And, and I pursued that as well as, as continuing to be an athlete playing football and baseball and stuff all up through high school. 
Um, I was a two-sport letterman through high school as well as traveling and competing for piano. <clears throat> but I hated weightlifting. <laughs> I had to take weight training in high school because if you were on the football team, you had to take it. And I tried to do the bare minimum because it just wasn't my thing. And then after high school, your typical going into college, you know, started to be interested in dating girls and wanting to look better. I thought I better hit the gym. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was your basic bodybuilding type things that I read in the magazines. And then all of a sudden I, I came upon powerlifting and kind of like classical music did with me, powerlifting clicked. And, um, and so I started training for maximal strength. So I didn't have to worry about being the leanest. I didn't have to worry about being the biggest and most muscular. It was about being the strongest within my weight class. And so that was kind of when the powerlifting started, which was around 20 years old, 21 years old, when that started to kind of click for me. So by that point, I'd already graduated from college with my degree in piano performance. And, and so then the powerlifting kind of kicked in. That's amazing. You know, these two dichotomies of one, you know, with powerlifting being more strength-based, power-based, and then the idea of sitting at a piano for hours on end being much more of an endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that these skills have enhanced one another or you the know, ability to accomplish it at a high level? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, with hours and hours of practice at, at the piano, I started to have some hand issues, some carpal tunnel. Everybody uses that. I'm not actually so convinced that everybody has carpal tunnel to place the piano. But, you know, if, if your fingers start seizing up on you, it's like, oh, you got carpal tunnel, you know, join the club. And which is kind of a two pronged thing. One, it's poor technique at the piano. And that's, you know, that's a whole uh, rabbit hole to go down in and of itself. The other is, spending all those hours slumped over a piano, I wasn't strong enough to spend that much time sitting at the piano, like you mentioned with the, the endurance. And as I started lifting weights, especially for maximal strength, not so much for show, but for go, you know, as my spinal rectors, as my, all of the abdominal muscles, the transverse abdominals, everything else got stronger and stronger and stronger. My back pain went away. All of my hand issues went away. Plus, I became a better pianist and better technique, which solves a lot of those problems. Right. right. But it, right. It, it kind of you to be able to sit for hours at the piano. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, piano, in my mind, besides physically actually being a workout, uh -huh. it's, it's like a full body workout for the brain. Absolutely. It would be equivalent to a full body workout for the brain. Unlike chess or Sudoku that activate certain parameters, this is going to hit lobes of vision, auditory, memory, movement, um, and it really encompasses all of that. So when you're, do you derive some of that inspiration or that mental mindset for piano when you have a really hard lift to do? Is there a cross between the two? There is, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky to describe when you're gonna lift a weight that you've never attempted before. It's very different than going in and, you know, doing a dumbbell curl for 10 reps. When you have, you know, nearly 600 pounds on your back and it's a weight that if you make any kind of mistake along the range of motion, it's going to crush you. You have to find this place, this level of concentration 
that can't be overexcited because then you can get sloppy. It has it's kind of that moment of nothingness, that Zen moment of in the moment and the moment seems to last forever. And it's very similar mental state as when you're in, in that moment performing where you can, you can sense every part of your body. You can feel the pressure in your feet as you're descending under the load. You can feel where the bar exactly is on your shoulders, how much you have to tilt your head, how much you have to expand your diaphragm. Every little thing you can feel in that moment, which is the exact same thing as when you're playing the piano. You know, it's not just push the key down and hope the sound comes out correctly. You know, you, you actually anticipate the sound that you're going to create. And then you have to make those just micro adjustments in pressure. A piano key weighs roughly 50 grams and it's super, super light. And to make that huge palette of sound that great pianists are capable of doing requires the most minute correction in, in pressure. And they're very similar, you know, it's kind of the opposite sides of the same coin. So in talking about, you know, pressure and talking about posture and talking about movement, how do you deal with breathing? I imagine the breathing are starkly different to one Very another. Different. Can you talk about that a little bit? So in piano, it's all about relaxation. It's about trying to keep your, your breathing as steady, as smooth as possible. You know, there's times where there's really hard passages and you kind of hold your breath a little bit, but that's not necessarily a good thing. You want to have, you know, a very consistent breathing pattern where it will vary a little bit in playing the piano is similar to a vocalist. The way that a vocalist will create color in his or her sound, a pianist will as well, you know, as you exhale and you can feel your arms settle, you can feel your whole body move, you know, as you inhale and it gives a little bit of lift to you, it changes the articulation of, of the sound. And so it's intuitive, you know, certainly not anything I think of as I'm playing, but in years and years of playing the piano, there's definitely a correlation to the way that you breathe and the sound that you create. If you watch some of the great pianists, you know, especially some of the pianists of the past, such as a Vladimir Horowitz, you know, he almost looks like he's asleep at the piano, yet he produces some of the most magnificent sounds the instruments ever produced because it's so focused. Everything is just at his fingertips. In weightlifting, you don't breathe. <laughs> the biggest thing is don't breathe. You create as much intra-abdominal pressure as possible. The only way that you can support these massive loads is to create a virtual balloon using your diaphragm. So as you expand your rib cage, as you pull everything into a neutral alignment, then you just bear down and brace. Um, it's not uncommon for me to blow all of the blood vessels in the white part of my eye mm -hmm. on maximal lifts because the blood pressure goes so far up so quickly. And people oftentimes will say, well, how many reps do you use? Like, one. One. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, normal training, like when I train clients, I'll tell them for safety's sake, if they're doing multiple repetition sets, 
that they want to breathe when the body is stacked bone on bone. So if you're doing a deadlift, for example, if you're going to breathe, you want to breathe when you're standing up straight. When your knees are locked, your hips are locked, the bar is just hanging, you know, in your arms. There is a safe time to kind of steal, steal a breath, brace. But anytime the body's in movement, anytime it's in flexion, you have to brace to support that load. And so, yeah, they're very opposite breathing patterns. You know, the, the weightlifting is create as much pressure as possible and then don't breathe until you put the bar back in the rack. Right. And the piano is to try to keep as low a heart rate, as steady a breathing as possible. That's why pianists play faster in performance when they're nervous. Their heart rate goes up and the adrenaline kicks in mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they play faster than they've ever practiced. Well, and it's also, you know, this idea of uh, there there is singing breathing and there's Pilates breathing and yoga breathing and swimming breathing. And, and I think that people sometimes overanalyze it. But the reality is, is, uh, you know, if we have only a certain type of breathing and we breathe in our lungs all the time, we breathe with our mouth open all the time, our, our, our limited scope make us feel very vulnerable to breath. And if we have to hold our breath, we might have more anxiety. Or if we have to breathe fast because we have to catch a train, we don't feel like we're going to be able to do it. We're going to have a heart attack. And I feel like you kind of are working at those extremes yeah. of holding your breath and also getting it almost to a meditative state exactly. that that you, anything in between is not scary to you. You no. know, there's a lot of room for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, even on multiple repetition sets of certain exercises, like a bench press, for example, where it's really important to set your shoulders in a correct position and taking a breath technically could compromise that shoulder position because you're wedged onto the bench. I'll hold my breath with no breathing for three to five repetitions. Wow. So yeah. we're talking 10, 15 seconds where I'll hold yeah, my under breath. A, under an extreme amount of load. <laughs> well, the bench isn't my best lift, so it's not as extreme, but <laughs> relatively speaking, yes. <laughs> so, so as we go more into this, you know, delving more into this aspect of these, as we talk it in at the core, the intersection between neuroscience and fitness, there's something called the neural hierarchy and you know the things that are most important to our brain for us to feel safe and feel capable and and feel the ability to move and cognitively you know uh take on things in our life and they always say that visual is on top of that hierarchy you know vision training our visual acuity and then next we have our vestibular system our inner eardrum the balance work all those kinds of things and then we have our proprioceptive skills Yep. which are huge in both piano and powerlifting, um, but really understanding where our body is in space at any given time. And so as we think of this neural hierarchy, particularly with the vision, the vestibular system and the proprioceptive system, how is it different or how do they blend? And what can you speak on in your training or your cross training to enhance each of these aspects of your piano playing as well as your powerlifting? Um from the top down, you know, visually in the weightlifting, what is probably the most significant aspect of that? I mean, there's certainly things that take place as far as finding a focal point when you lift. Um, and you would know better than I on, on some of these, some of these neurological feedbacks that, that we get. For example, 
when you look up, you'll feel the muscles of your back tense up, but it kind of yeah. inhibits the muscles of the anterior side of your body. Right. And so I'll, I'll interrupt you so that yeah. the audience can better understand this. It's very interesting. So eyes going up is actually in a cranial nerve that rests in a portion of our brainstem. And that cranial nerve in that portion of the brainstem actually cues extension for every muscle in our body. So when we look up, it actually fires into the extensor tone, allowing us to have better extension. So, um, you know, whether people do it subconsciously or realize it and you clearly pairing the two together and realizing that, um, that's where it actually comes from. Yeah, perfect. And, and what you'll see is a lot of people, there's a lot of misinformation in the weightlifting, powerlifting world. They'll tell you to look up when you squat, but one of the problems with looking up when you squat is that's what shoots your butt out the back. Yes, it is. Because it strengthens the extensors, like you said. So your low back, your glutes, your, your hamstrings, which kicks your butt out, and then you good morning the weight instead of squat the weight with the with right. The so, you know, I tend to take a more neutral, actually slightly head down position when I squat, because then I put more of the emphasis into my quadriceps. And right. I'm not worried about my back because that goes back to the bracing. So right. once you've locked everything in, your, your lats are pulled tight, you know, you've wedged yourself under the bar, I actually look down when I squat. Um, well, and, that, and that, that goes under the same exact parameter as eyes up. When we look down, it increases flexor tone. I mean, there's a common saying where your eyes go, your body follows. Mm -hmm. And and when we try to work on people's rotation or flexion or anything like that, if we want deeper hip flexion, which is what you want in a squat, yep. dropping the eyes down actually makes the body feel like it feels safer to go lower because it can see what's down there. Exactly. And and it will go down. <laughs> yeah, and, and I use that analogy with some of my clients. I'll, I'll put something on the floor and say, now squat down and pick it up without looking at it. And they're like, well, that's weird. I'm like, exactly. So look yeah. down. <laughs> you know, and the deadlift is, is kind of tricky because it depends on where you're, where you're weak. If we're talking a conventional deadlift where your feet are close together and your hands are on the outside, the initial... I don't say pull, the initial push off the floor, again, is fairly quad driven. So I tend to start the deadlift with my head down a little bit. As the bar gets kind of around my knees, I'll actually pull my head back a little bit because I need that extra boost in my spinal erectors and everything else to get through the sticking point. But then as I drive my head, head or my hips through, then my chin will drop again. And you know, I honestly didn't think about these things to begin with. I've analyzed them after the fact, and then I've done some right. of my homework on, on them. Um, some people that have different weaknesses, you know, if, if extension is their weakness, a slightly head back position will help them. Right. Um, in playing the piano, that visual aspect, you know, when you have to make big jumps to different parts of the keyboard, obviously, you know, you look at it, you've got a better chance of hitting the right note. Right. Um, but sometimes- And it's an accuracy. It's, it's, a, it's an eye yeah. saccade. It's a jumping your eyes back and forth and really hitting a mark. I mean, not to mention if you're reading sheet music, you can only play as fast as you can read the piece if you've never played it before. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, you get a different bit of going to the third level of proprioception. Somebody that's a good sight reader, they can 
feel the surface area of the keyboard and they can tell where they're at without actually having to look where they're putting their hands. And that's where you get into that, where you can feel the keyboard under the tips of your finger. And it's a, it's a very subtle sensation to mm. know exactly where you're going to put your hand without looking there. Um, the, the, the middle level that you were talking about, I don't know the technical terms for it, but inner ear issues. Yeah, the vestibular system. The, it's kind of, if we think of an airplane and all the little gauges that are there, it says our height, our altimeter, our, our speed of travel, our wing tilt, all of those things are in our inner ear and obviously very important for both. <laughs> right. And something that I've seen, I actually do help a lot of people that have been injured or had some issues. My wife's a massage therapist. And so kind of in combination, you know, we've helped people with mostly weightlifters, competitive athletes that I know personally that have come to us for some help. But we've noticed that some of the people that have structural issues, for example, um, you know, they may be complaining about a knee that hurts or a hip that's sore or something along those lines. And you'll find out down the road that the actual injury is usually in the neck up. And I mean, I'm being, I'm grossly generalizing it. Of course. You know, if the head sits slightly crooked on the, on the top of the spine, you'll adjust the whole rest of your body and put your head straight so that the inner ear, you know, your equal. That is exactly correct. That is exactly correct. Because we want our inner ear to be in balance and we want our eyes to see in balance. And when we have scoliosis or we have a neck injury or we have tension anywhere, we, yep. we think, I call it telephone head all the time. You know, it's this. Right. <laughs> you'll, you'll see all kinds of issues anywhere downstream. I mean, from right. their, from their feet all the way up to their head that's caused from not being able to hold their head straight. And, and you'll see that a lot in weightlifting is, you know, someone will tend to kind of pull kind of crooked or whatever. And so then mm -hmm. they'll shift their hip out to the opposite side, which straightens them up. But now they start to have SI joint pain or they start. Pressure on the knee. Yeah. And so, you know, you have a lot about a lot of that. In the piano, it's not quite so obvious. I think it's certainly there. Um, you know, you'll see people that sit funny at the piano. I think more proprioception takes over what their hands are actually doing. It's when they stand up from the piano that they're crippled from sitting at the piano, <laughs> you know, in regards to that. So, you know, from the top down, from visual, you know, with, with power lifting, it's just kind of cueing what you're looking at to mm -hmm. different parts of your body to respond the way that you need to. The other aspect of that is fear. You know, you look at a loaded barbell. It's funny, I can remember the first major competition I went to, I trained at a commercial gym. We have the big, fat, you know, 45-pound plates. And so when you got 500 pounds on the bar, where am I? There we go. You know, it's that thick on the barbell. Well, yeah. When you go to a competition, they use these highly calibrated kilo plates and they're only like this thick and so that same 500 pounds only looks like this and so there's this kind of mental aspect where you're looking at it it's like oh that doesn't look that heavy and then you unrack the bar and it's like oh that's really heavy yeah. <laughs> and and so it kind of almost works the opposite way in the sense of, of the fear aspect visually where some people look at a weight and they're like oh that kind of scares me 
Mm-hmm. And other people, it inspires. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to take on something I've never done before. This is fun. This is why I'm a power lifter. So, you know, the, the, the two can, can function very differently depending on who you are. Some people are much better in the gym than they are on the platform because they get scared. Yeah. And other no, people it's really rise huge, to that. It's a huge aspect. I mean, fear uh, fear is easy to get attached to, right? And because our brains are are really single modular mode for danger and threat. That's all it cares about. It's it's always assessing, is this dangerous? Mm-hmm. And should it pass through? Should we allow this to happen? And, and generally when we have pain, generally when we have limitations, it's fear-based. It's not, it, it's manifested in our brain versus actually a physical reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's interesting in powerlifting, kind of learn to embrace that pain you learn to to sit into it say you're doing a heavy squat you know as you start to go down with a heavy load on your back you know your knees don't feel amazing your hips don't feel amazing and the natural reaction is well i shouldn't do this let's just put it back in the but it's as you start to kind of almost thrive on that discomfort and i should say discomfort because it's not pain right i understand what you mean it's outside your comfort zone but it's your yeah. capable and you know <laughs> as you start going down it's like oh i'm not sure if i'm going to stand back up that's kind of what brings you alive it's like this is why i do it i think it's the exact same sensation as a race car driver yeah when, when they get to that point where they're going so fast and they have the reaction time is unbelievable because they have to make the most minute corrections my dad was a race car driver so you know i've i've seen i've never experienced i've seen it yeah the reaction times are are crazy it's crazy you know if you're doing 150 plus miles an hour just the most subtle of movements and and the anticipation of stuff but fear starts to kick in and you start to tighten up on the steering wheel whereas they actually have to relax into it yep in powerlifting it's the same concept different physical reaction as you start to feel that discomfort you have to tighten up into it you have to become more aggressive mentally you actually have to move faster into right into the bottom of the squat to come out of it now you get into the physics of the stretch reflex and you know all of of course so you know there's so so obviously music classical music particularly is is living breathing in your in your veins and do you listen to music when you power lift? I do. <laughs> I listen to classical is it, music. Is it so? Is it background music? Are you moving to the music? Do you pick certain music for what you might be doing in the gym? I do. You know, it, I don't move to the music. It's almost. I mean, for the majority of, say, a powerlifting workout, say because I've used the squat, we'll just continue with it. You know, through your warm-up weights and stuff, you're only getting, you don't want to get too aroused too early. You know, you, you want to, you don't want to dump all the adrenaline in your warm-ups and then not have anything left for your heaviest weights. So you actually do try to stay very calm, very collected through most of your warm-ups. And then as you start getting into the big weights, your top sets, your, <clears throat> your maximum efforts, whatever it is that your programming calls for, 
then, you know, I'll, I'll put on music. It's funny, I like the two extremes. It'll either be something that's really exciting, you know, it'll, uh, you know, Beethoven, you know, symphony or one of his more aggressive piano sonatas or something like that. Um, something more militant sounding. Or if it's actually a more important lift for me that requires an even higher level of arousal, it's actually a more calm music. I almost have to, the external stimulus has to be calm because of the rage inside. Interesting. So interesting. So, and, and, and like with rock and roll, I mean, I'll train, you know, what my clients want to listen to sometimes, not very often. But what, what, <laughs> what works for you, yeah. But you know, like one of the heaviest lifts I've ever attempted, you know, I, I pulled a 661 pound deadlift and I was listening to the aria of Box Goldberg variation, the slow, <laughs> very first portion of the Goldberg variations. I love it. I love it. You know, and that's the thing, like, it's finding that motivation factor. It's finding that connection of what you need, what dissipates that fear, what intenses that arousal, what gets you in the mindset. And that yep. could be different for each person, but I think finding that is is critical. Yeah. You know, yeah. in, in talking about... Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. I was just saying, yeah, you'll go to powerlifting meets and you see everybody sitting over there with their headphones on and you can hear like the slash metal coming yeah. out of it. And I'm exhausted for them before they even get to the platform. <laughs> you know, I like to I like to be able to be very calm, very collected, kind of joking around. I, I'm still paying attention to what's going right. on. You know, I'm following the lifters where I'm at in the order of things. And then right before I hit the platform, you flip the switch. And the minute you walk off the platform, you turn it off. Otherwise, you're not going to make it through a six-hour long yeah. and be exhausted. Exactly. You know, this idea of turning it on, this idea of like flipping that switch on when necessary and having it at your, at your disposal there was a Harvard study found that music improves gray matter in our brain, leading to higher cognition and reduction in brain-related diseases. We obviously know that fitness has a huge role to that and, mm -hmm. and talking about how things translate through the brain, you know, going from top, bottom to top and from the back to the front and movement is derived in that frontal lobe of the brain music as we've discussed is in every lobe of the brain right <laughs> and um have you seen this to be true in clients you've worked with we had talked previously that you have an 85 year old client have you noticed with kids or people that have had you know neurological disorders or anything like that bringing in music or bringing in fitness with you or even potentially bringing in both mm -hmm. has increase their cognitive capacity and and their brain health oh yeah absolutely you know classical music i think what's so miraculous about music like you said it, it's the whole brain involved and um like i, I have a, a piano student now he's never played piano before he's 85 years old has a fascinating backstory i'll tell you that, that story some other time <laughs> <laughs> you got to have him on as one of your guests. <laughs> but um, he decided that, you know, he wanted to, to learn to play. And he's an interesting, he's not your typical 85-year-old. 
in that three days a week, he walks up to the rec center and does his weightlifting workout. And then another three days of the week, he go he walks up to the rec center and swims hundreds of yards of, of laps. And then on all six days of the week, he practices Tai Chi. I mean, he's a very in tune with himself mm -hmm. person. And so as he sits at the piano, it's interesting because he had the same issues that all beginners have, you know, he lifts his fingers and he, you know, does everything that every beginner does. And one of the things that I would do with him is that as he puts his hand on the, on the piano, I'll put my hand on top of it. I said, just feel the key. Just use the finger that you need to use, nothing else. And what you'll see is all of a sudden everything focuses on just the tip of the one finger that they're trying to use. It's not just push the key down. Now it's just the one. They're just trying to feel the individual notes. And you can see this level of focus to go, because it's actually really hard. It's much harder than to just lift your hand up and slam it down on right. the And you know, here he is 85 years old, and it's no different other than he has a much better attention span than a five-year-old. <laughs> It's no different than when you take a five-year-old and get them to do the same thing. The difference with the five-year-old is you have to kind of manipulate them to do it. You know, you have to play games and you have to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that because they're not as mature. You know, their parents are probably making them do it. They, they hadn't chosen to do it yet. They will someday. I, I'm living proof of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden, that flipping the switch, you'll see these children, you'll see these older adults all do the same thing. There's a level of focus where it just, all of a sudden it's there. And it might not last for very long. And they're exhausted when they're done. They're yeah. so tired after it's over with. And I know that in my own case, after performing, you know, you'll perform a, an hour long, hour and a half, two hour long recital. And it's way worse than a powerlifting competition. Because like I said, you turn the switch on, you're on the platform for five seconds, you shut the switch off. Not so, you know, you're playing the list piano sonata, you got 30 minutes nonstop with no break right. whatsoever. Well, this is the perfect segue into my next question for you. The brain consumes 30% of our glucose and oxygen <laughs> at any given time when we're not deriving a lot of brain resources. And so no one would flinch in a moment if you had a nutritional or dietary plan for powerlifting. People would assume that you have some sort of nutritional or dietary plan for powerlifting. But, but my thought is the amount of intensity and caloric burn, and as you said, that these people are so focused and so tired from the the exhaustion of the brain working and literally depleting you of your resources, of your yeah. oxygen supply, of your nutrition. How, how do you plan? Do you plan when, when you're playing piano? Is, I didn't, is, I, didn't to. I do now. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the body, like, like you mentioned, the brain using glucose, if you look at extreme endurance athletes, um, you know, they'll ease, they'll either, constantly consume sugars. I'm just using that generically. Yeah. There's throughout but their sugar cubes, quite literally. Yeah. You know, or the gels or whatever. Yeah. Races. Or there are 
are some that follow very low carbohydrate diets that actually, because the intensity of effort is relatively low, they're able to convert the proteins and fatty acid into sugar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that whether they're actually functioning on ketones or they're just converting the proteins into sugar is debatable. You know, the science kind of goes a million different directions on that. But um, what I found with music, because it is a very low intensity, long duration, intensity being of your physical limit. Right. Um, I actually find a relatively low carbohydrate meals beforehand for stable blood sugar and constantly producing the energy I need instead of running out of sugar. You know, if you have high carbohydrate stores, you know, once you burn through them, you don't have anything does, you don't have any more. Now you have to start making it. So, but if you're starting to make it from the beginning, then, you know, you're, it's a more even trickle of energy through throughout. You know, would I recommend that to a hundred meter sprinter? Definitely not. Very two, di- two different types right. of entirely. Um, I actually watched an interview with a, a very well-known concert pianist and he taught that, talked about having to eat about four hours before a concert because he gets brain fog during the concert if he eats too mm-hmm. close to it. And my first thought was he's just eating the wrong stuff too close to it. You know, he, his blood sugar's peaking and then it's crashing and then he's got the typical brain fog that goes with it. Now, I'm not saying a ketogenic diet by any stretch right. of imagination. But one but that- I think, there is, I think there is that sweet spot. I think that just like working out, you don't want to have all this protein right before you're going to do an exercise class, you know, and you want to have that protein right after. You don't want to have sugar right after you finished your workout there. There are these aspects that can actually increase your skills and capabilities while sitting at the piano that you may not have considered thinking it's just about practicing on the piano. Yeah. And, and for me, it's about higher fat, um, heavier protein foods. So red meat in my particular case with carbohydrate sources that I know work really well with the way I digest food and stuff. Some people are sensitive to certain foods and, and other people not as much. I tend to do really well with things like rice. I don't do as well with things like wheat and grains and they tend to give me the brain fog and, and things like that. But, you know, if I were to have steak and eggs with a small portion of rice, you know, I'm ready to go. I, I feel great. I feel energized after eating that. Now, I know people that they eat that and they feel like they just you know, heavy swallowed an anvil and they're ready to yeah. do anything. <laughs> so obviously, you know, personal body chemistry comes into play. And I think there's even a genetic component of that with, you know, ethnicity and background and different things. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at a lot of the African population and the Asian population that don't digest um, lactose well. And you have a lot, right. lot of lactose intolerance. Whereas your Northern Europeans do just fine with, with it and, and thrive off of high dairy consumption. So yeah, there's a lot of looking into what works for you. I know for me personally, you know, heavy proteins, like I said, steak and eggs and moderate to low amounts of easily digestible carbohydrates. Um, not too many simple sugars. 
Um, I'm okay with fruit. You know, people kind of sometimes throw fruit out with the bath water as a simple sugar, but our bodies handle it a bit differently. Yeah. So, sure. you know, I'm not going to down three or four bananas before I go out. But So let's say you don't have your gym, you don't have your piano, um, or, you know, physically you need a break. Do you ever do guided imagery, visualization, mental rehearsal, these techniques that are tried and true among a lot of high level movers? Um, do you ever practice any of these techniques? You know, it's a quick story. Uh, a few months ago, kind of the, during the, the pandemic type stuff, it was right around the time that the gyms had just started opening back up here. And, Luckily, I have a gym here in my home, so it did, never interrupted my training. But there's a couple of gyms that I'll go to occasionally for change of scenery, which that's another sensory stimulation topic. <laughs> um, I took a nap. It was one of those days that I didn't have any piano students until until the late evening. And, and I, I took a nap, and I actually dreamt about deadlifting 610 pounds, specifically 610 pounds. I was coming back from a little minor injury and I hadn't lifted anything over 600 in a while. And, and I woke up from my nap and I told my wife, I said, I have to go to the gym and pull 610. And she starts laughing at me and she's like, yeah, okay, why 610? I said, because I dreamt about it. And so that day I went to the, the gym, I warmed up, I did some light squats beforehand and sure enough, I, Old 610, no problem, was one of the best deadlifts I'd had in, in many months. And this, um, this, this is this is what it's about, right? Yeah. You know, it's there's not just the physical, it's getting all of that into prepare and, and and the neurons that were firing when you were kind of in a relaxed state, being able to just absorb all of it, almost like slow-mo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the the day before a training session, um, you know, like on Friday is our normal squat day. We do a lot of different programming, but that's kind of a, a generic squat day. Um, Thursday night, I'm filling it out in my journal. I'm, I'm old school. I've got the old, you know, three topic, you know, notebooks. I don't put anything in my phone. I can't find it if I put it in my phone. It's, it's pen and paper and I've got covers full of, I have 15 years of notebooks. Wow. In the garage. I can go back to, you know, 2001 and tell you exactly what I lifted on the 4th of July. And, um, and so the night before I'm going through my notebook and I'm putting, you know, what exercises, what sets, what reps, what I'm actually doing is I'm mentally rehearsing what's going to happen the next day. I've already accomplished what I'm going to do mentally. And then the next day is just about going in and doing it. And the worst thing that I do, and, I, and I'm bad at this, so don't tell anybody. I know that lots of people might see just, it. Just the world of YouTube and yeah, podcast. <laughs> you know, and, and every coach will tell you this is the worst thing ever is program hopping. You know, is, is not sticking to something for a long enough to know if it's working or not. And only me, I mean, I, I follow my own programming, but there's times where I go off, off book and it's when you're sitting there kind of trying to make a decision on the spot that things don't tend to work out as well. Now, it, it kind of goes along with the, the old saying, you know, if you plan, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. 
but the same thing is all plans go out the window after the first shots fired too. So you have to be able to improvise on the spot because there's right. days that you feel well, there's days that you don't, there's days that things are hurting and you just can't do what you had planned. But 90 plus percent of the time, you know, I mentally rehearse that the day before. If it's, if it's a, a big test week, say it's, you know, a few weeks out from a competition and we're having a simulated meet then, you know, I'm going to be mentally, I'm going through that. If the meet's on Friday or Saturday, I'm thinking about that all week long. The only danger with that is mental burnout. If you start focusing too much on it, on over-rehearsing it, it's the same as with piano. You know, if you're trying to learn that really difficult passage and you just hammer away over and over and over and over, all of a sudden you're you actually start to lose coordination, mm-hmm. you know, and you can overdo it. Um, uh, Dr. Josh Wright and I have talked about this numerous times where all you have to do are simple variations where you play the same pattern, but you break the rhythm. You know, if, if it's an even pattern, you might go long, short, long, short, long, short. It's the same notes. You're trying to hold a relatively similar tempo but just little subtle variations actually improves the, the learning aspect of it. Sometimes fragmentation is very beneficial. So sometimes, you know, you'll go over something and then go to something different before you come back and you, you kind of jump back and forth. Um, in strength training, you'll see that a little bit in, I call them fully rested supersets. <laughs> you know? <laughs> A push-pull would be an example. You do a bench press and then you do a row. You know, whereas the all of the pressing muscles, the chest, the shoulders, the triceps are resting while I'm doing the rows, it's still kind of that, that going back and forth. You almost are sometimes stronger going back to the other one. Right. But back to your original question, yeah, there's a lot of, or there's a lot of mental cueing. There's a lot of, some people would call it meditating. I often find myself kind of just zoned out a little bit. You know, my wife's like, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, a lot of things and nothing (laughs) at the same time. You know, you're kind of working out a problem in your your mind and you're just kind of letting this free form thought go. And it eventually all of that kind of makes its way into something. Right. This is amazing. Okay, so I'm going to end you, Ricky, with a lightning round. Okay. I have questions for you. There are two options. The first one has three options, and you're just going to spit out your fastest response. All right. So working out, morning, afternoon, or night? Normally, it's in the morning, but I prefer afternoon. Okay. Sweet or salty? Sweet, like my personality. Planks or squats? Squats. Shoes or barefoot? Barefoot. Coffee or tea? Neither. Water. Beach or mountains? Beach. Music or silence? Music. Heat or cold? Definitely cold. Inside or outside? I'm going to say inside. Jasmine or peppermint? Ooh, jasmine. 
Spontaneous or planned? Very planned. <laughs> Learning something new or perfect something known? Perfect. Awesome. Ricky, this has been incredible, an eye-opener, amazing connection of really explaining this intersection between neuroscience and fitness and moving. It has been a great privilege to speak with you. The floor is yours. If you would like to let our audience know about anything that you would like to throw out there, um, how they can work with you, um, anything like that. Um, yeah, you can find me. I'm on Instagram. Um, I believe it's Darth Reinhardt. I would have to check my own Instagram to make sure. We'll put it down in the bottom and it's also <laughs> here posted on the video. Uh, I'm on Facebook. It's just Ricky Reinhardt. Um, it's R-H-I-N-E-H-A-R-T. Um, other than that, I, I think my phone number, my personal phone number is on my Facebook page and it's open to the public. So yeah, my email is Darth like as in Darth Vader, Darth Reinhardt at Yahoo. And you're more than welcome to contact me if you have any questions. Um, I am a big Star Wars fan, but that's not the reason. That's actually my middle name, Darth. I can blame my brother for that one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's it. Ricky, thank you so much. It has been a true honor and a privilege. We have all learned so much. And I think that Hopefully by the end of this conversation, people realize that on first glance, the the subtleties of piano playing and the brute force of powerlifting can come together with a lot of similarities. That's right. It's like sweet and sour. They go together. Sugar and salty. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so Thank much, Ricky. I appreciate it. That was fun.